Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line, presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. Activize for all your aches and pains to keep you training, keep you racing. I love the roll-on. It comes in roll-on gel and spray. You can find it at Walmart. You can find it on Amazon and, of course, at Ironman.com. I apologize for the voice being a little raspy, (laughs) just coming off an Ironman, but it'll be fine for the podcast here. And as you know, this podcast is about talking to people who have had to jump over hurdles in their life to keep moving forward, to keep finding their next finish line on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And our guest today is, has, has had to have to do that. Well, before we get started, though, I'm going to talk about, you know, all the events I've done, and I always have the rally towel with me. I'm always swinging it around at the finish line. This, this rally towel is going to be auctioned off. The auction ends on December 16th. I've even got it embroidered with my name. This one here has been with me for the last 10 years or so. And I started, you know, doing the rally towel in the early 90s. So you can go to ironmanfoundation.org slash charitable auction. And all the proceeds to the Ironman Foundation, which I'm the ambassador captain for. So I can't wait to see how high the bidding's already started And I can't wait to see how high this baby's going to go. My guest today, her name is Lynn Keene. She's out of Toronto, Canada. She's a speaker, author, Ironman athlete, uh, passionate advocate for suicide prevention and mental wellness. She has spent over a decade, well over a decade, educating the public in Canada and all over the world about the devastating reality that people are in crisis and suicide. Hello, Lynn. How are you today? Hi, Mike. I'm wonderful. Great to be with you. Thank you. And and uh, I always ask my guests, did you get a workout in today? I did not, but I did two yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always, I always nail them. And they always feel, people feel a little guilty, like, oh my God, Mike asked me I got a workout and I didn't. <laughs> no. No, uh, I'm in my uh, sort of uh, down, like a lot of us are in off season right now. So it's, it's kind of nice having uh, free time and not so much structure. Yeah, I know. We, we get that excuse at this time of year. You know, I'm a little <laughs> bit in an off season, but I know you're planning your next workout. So <laughs> that, that, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to feel guilty about that. Well, Lynn, uh, in 2009, Lynn lost her son, Daniel, to suicide. And, and Lynn, as a parent, I just, I just can't even imagine uh, how tough that has been, how it was at that time, how it is still today. And uh, you've been an advocate, as I said earlier, of suicide prevention, of, of looking for and discovering the signs that uh, people can look for in, in order to help someone in their lives. And the, the tough stat is the young people, uh, the second a highest cause of suicide in your country, in Canada, one of the highest causes here in the U.S. And uh, it, it, to go through that process and, and try to find some of those signs, especially mood swings, uh, what do you think the number one thing is somebody can do to look for that? That's a great question, Mike. I, because we 
didn't know what we were looking at. I've become so adamant about saying it's not necessarily one thing, but you'll see a variety of flags in your loved one that are different. Um, Have they stopped doing things that they used to love to do? Daniel was a golfer. Um, He stopped playing golf, as an example. Gaining weight, not sleeping regularly through the night, uh, weight gain or loss, like significant in a short period of time. Looking back, I would say our hallmark that we didn't see was isolation. Daniel um, started to isolate himself, and we thought because he was away at school that the things that he was saying to us were actually happening. He had to work on projects. He had to stay back, work with profs. Well, none of that was actually happening. He really just just isolated himself, and um, it was only after his suicide that we found out from friends that they, he had isolated himself as well from them. So there were moments where he could come out and be the life of the party or come home and be this great chef at our home when he could. Um, But especially 2008, uh, sort of the fall going into the winter, um, the isolation just got worse. But all of those other things that I had previously mentioned were also happening to Daniel. So if you look at one of them, you maybe not, it may not trigger anything, but when you put it in totality, you realize this person has a very potential, potentially a catastrophic depression or a mental health disorder that, that for us went un- undiagnosed. And Lynn, for all, you know, years and years on the mental illness, and there's always that stigma that it's, it's like not an illness. Come on, you can go out there and think positive and be better. But over the last years or so, it's become so evident that it is an illness. And uh, when when someone, especially in the young years, the teenagers are 18 to, say, 30, 34, they, they really isolate themselves. They don't want to talk about it. They feel it's a weakness, don't they? Yeah, that's exactly it. I think, um, again, I look at the, you know, the families that I've talked to who have also lost it in our own experience. The, the idea that they're letting you down, this, this, um, there's factors that research uh, look at. There's like fearlessness, um, a sense of isolation, and a sense of being a, becoming a burden. And those together create this really sort of um, event, cataclysmic event that may not uh, end in a loss of life, but certainly um, feed that suicide ideation where you're, you're having these thoughts and thinking, maybe I would be better they would be better off. My family would be better had, if I was not here. It's, it's the complete opposite because anybody that, you know, we would have done, we would have done anything to have Daniel with us. Sure. We just didn't know what we were facing. And I, I think particularly young people haven't had the, the breadth of life of experiences to recognize that this, to your point, um, it is a mental health condition or a, a disorder that someone is dealing with is like a is like a physical health condition. It needs treatment. It needs to be looked at and not judged. But we're we're sort of coming through a period of where we're, we're looking at it and not judging it. But we, you know, in our case, almost fourteen years ago, we didn't have those conversations with kids, or we didn't have them with our family, our, our senior members in our family. Now we have those conversations. Um, but it's st- I mean, still the rates of suicide, particularly throughout the pandemic, have just like are off the charts. And in mm-hmm. particularly um, in, in low-income communities, in BIPOC communities, in Indigenous communities, again, it's, it's off the charts. So bringing awareness to why in our own families these things are happening is, to me, was once I started to heal from within, I recognized that by sharing Daniel's story, 
perhaps maybe somebody would either see signs that we saw in the rearview mirror or might see themselves in Daniel and, and reach out for the care that they deserved. And Lynn, isn't it a difficult dynamic with a parent and child? I mean, my goodness, we raising kids, you know, when they're teenagers, they don't even want to talk to us. They, you know, they know everything. And, it, yeah. and so the communication in those years always seems to kind of break down a little bit anyway. And that dynamic uh, can kind of contribute to, you know, the parents not talking to the kids as much, the kids not talking to the parents as much. How, how do you think that can be prevented in those tough, difficult years? Mike, you hit it the nail on the head. That exact situation happened to us over and over again. And what we saw as, as an example, as Daniel um, rebelling, we'll say, or his behavioral habits had changed, he started drinking and things like that. We saw them as, as, as a sort of recklessness behavior. What it really was, was he was changing and, and needed support. What we didn't lead with was compassion. And that is the one thing that I try to say to people is when you're seeing these things in our young people, especially the first thing isn't to go after them and say like, why? Like, you know, but to, to sit down and, and try to understand sort of the roots of why these behaviors have, have sort of all of a sudden shown up. Or, or why they're losing weight, or why they're not sleeping. But, in, but I think if we lead with empathy and, um, and understanding, which we didn't have at the time, I think we're in a far better position to, to support our young people. Um, I just think, you know, what we know now from, from research, the suicide researchers is we understand that people, all ages, have mental health disorders. What we have to do is separate the mental health disorder, which we can treat over time, with the person that is in a position of suicide ideation, because that is an urgent need to, to really have people around you understand that there are certain signs we can tell and you're not well, we need to step in. Um, again, right. this is hindsight. Um, we didn't have the benefit of that knowledge. <clears throat> yeah. The, the, let's talk, Lynn, about the healing process for yourself, your, your husband, your uh, Daniel's sisters. Uh, it, it it, it's ironic to me, you're an endurance athlete, not ironic, but it's just, you know, the week before Daniel, Daniel's day, you're training to, to run a marathon, and the next week you're, you're mourning. And, and obviously the, the fitness level that you had and, and working out has helped you along the way. Uh, but that didn't happen right away, did it? No. Um, I mean, initially, I think, I just wanted to bury myself in my bed. I, I just, I didn't want to speak. I couldn't, I didn't have words. Um, I just wanted Daniel to come in the door. And for a long time, the, um, the benefit of shock, I'll say, is a protective uh, covering until you get to a point where then the, the reality of this, um, this grief that is just unexplainable. It's just, it's mm -hmm. this, it, it, it overtook all of us and we, um, we all had different relationships with Daniel. So we all were grieving in our own way. And, and really initially in terms of healing, we, we were just trying to get through the morning and then get through the day and then try to get through the night. And we did stay together. The, the four of us, we were under one roof for, for months. Oh, good. Um, but it, it <clears throat> sir. No, go ahead. It just, it's just, um, it, it's really time. It's time and doing the work in grief, which uh, if you can, I sort of look at it this way, um, the night that we recognized that Daniel, something was wrong, we didn't know what had happened. 
um, I went outside and I stood outside our front door and I just had this guttural scream. There was just this maternal instinct that something was terribly wrong. Um, and I just remember thinking, I'll never have come back from this. Like this, again, not knowing everything at that moment, but I knew something was, was definitely wrong. Um, and it, it really was day by day until about a, a week into loss, um, not even, I went for a run. And my husband came in the car just in case, you know, I broke down and, and I, I waved him off and I kept running. And I just, I, I just prayed. I just said, like, you know, because I'd been a runner for 10 years, I look at that now is that was, I was building resilience through those years. Um, I didn't realize I would need it in such a way. You have actually said, I, I mean, I read that, you know, being a runner, being an endurance athlete, it in so many ways helped bring you back and saved your, your life, your, your demeanor and the way you were, uh, your outlook, uh, it, you know, and I, I've talked to so many athletes over the years, Lynn, and you know, I mean, you know, this, this has saved, they've told me, this has saved my life. This has helped me cope. This has helped me transform. Uh, on that first run, you felt something that, well, maybe there is a little glimmer of, of hope here. Uh, and then it just continued after that, didn't it? It, it did, Mike. So that run... Um, it, I think it was just, um, just giving me some space. I think I just needed to get out of the house and just be in nature where I felt his presence immediately. But then with that run, uh, about three or four months later, I started writing. I just sort of recalled that run and I wrote a, an essay and I submitted it to, um, the Globe and Mail here in Toronto and they published it. And the response that I got from that was, um, again, this was 14 years ago. So social media was really non-existent mm -hmm. to be honest which was fine but there was like 20 people responded and with 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 the exception of maybe one or two people everyone said this is my story thank you for sharing what our experience has been like and it it was the first moment that I thought by sharing our story ultimately Daniel's story maybe maybe there's a way to make an impact um, maybe we can change outcomes by being so open um, with our experience and, and <clears throat> you know this better than most, Lynn, even though that's 14 years ago. Today, there is still this, this blockage, this wall on the mental health, mental illness. I mean, two stories I put in my book about two individuals, athletes that wanted to take their own lives. And one PTSD, the other one with mental illness. And, and, and it, uh, it, they both, you know what, even today, Mike, it, people have this. They're, they're afraid to talk about it. They think th seeking help is weakness, not strength. Mm -hmm. uh, but you've seen it come a long way, especially in Canada, haven't you? It, it has. Um, I'd say the the movement of taking away the stigma has certainly changed over these years. The issue that we have in Canada is the access to care. And, um, you mm -hmm. know, why we have a universal so-called health system here, it is broken <laughs> to, I mean, we still have a, we do have a healthcare system. I'm not, I'm not disparaging it, but like anything, especially after the pandemic, the resources are very slim. And today, if I took my young person, I mean, you don't, the first place you look is not going to the emergency department to try to get them care. You want to have some sort of navigating system that can help you through the process. 
But your your primary mm-hmm. caregiver, your, your frontline doctor, can't always provide that care. They don't even have the time, um, and sometimes even the, the understanding. So it's really up to parent advocates to and, and family advocates to understand what it is that they're seeing in front of them, whether it's their spouse, whether it's PTSD from trauma, um, or whether it's, um, you know, in, in our case, we, we've sort of gone back and seen Daniel was born with um, life-threatening food allergies. He had anaphylaxis and asthma, which creates a, there's a lot of inflammation in the body. So he already had psych, uh, physiological conditions that would potentially put him in a position to, be, to have depression. Um, we didn't know that. Like, we, were, we were just trying to keep him healthy and away from the offending foods. You know, I had no And he, no loved, he loved to cook, though, didn't he? He did, yeah. He, he became a fan of the Food Network. And so because he was so limited, he, he then he created these like phenomenal meals for friends and for his family. And he was the guy, he was the fixer. So where it would appear that Daniel was trying to help somebody else, you could, there was a lot going on there that he just, he just, you know, and him and I were very close. We'll always be close. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot, but I never could see that, Mike. I couldn't, I couldn't break through that wall to, to get a glimmer of, what was right in front of me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a tough, that's a tough and thick wall. A lot of times now survivors, they always have a tendency to want to be alone. And, and, uh, like you said, you know, I just wanted to be alone on my run and the whole deal, but then you go out Lynn, you start getting back and, and running events, you know, you've done Boston five, six times and, and we'll talk about the Ironman, but then that kind of forced you to get out, amongst people didn't it yeah yeah that was amazing i you know that first that race within two weeks um there was a fall oh, two weeks after yeah i had, oh, as, as you wow. mentioned earlier i was supposed to do a marathon and obviously there was no but about two days prior to the the, the race had a half uh distance and i just thought what else can i do and so i laced up <laughs> i think my husband took me like he took me there I was like a robot. I got in this, into the queue and it was like I took my headphones off and it was like listening to everybody actually was feeding me. And I, I, as much as I was alone, I wanted to be alone. There was something familiar and comforting in this. And also no one knew what I was doing, right? Like I could just right. be and like walking down. We live in a bit of a small town outside of Toronto and it's like you – it's not the case, but as um, someone who's recently been so traumatized, you assume everyone that walks by you knows your story. So you feel you're super mm-hmm. vulnerable. But in that state, I was like, I'm a runner. I just go do what I do. And it was one of my, I don't say best races, but there was a race. It was, it was talk, just in, in a flow zone. I was just like not thinking about anything. And it was, it gave me such... Um, space from pain it it sort of moved the pain over for a couple of hours that when I when I got home I did something I hadn't been able to do and that was read Daniel's note and that had taken me over two weeks finishing a race and I got into his truck and I read the note and you know Mm. the day and like that was I mean I came down very fast and uh but it gave I look at I'm trying like yeah it gave me a bit of strength you know what I'm saying? Like, it just gave me something. You know, it was like you were in a bubble, but you were in a bubble with like-minded people doing what you were doing. And 
That has to be a situation where you're walking around thinking everybody does know your story, but obviously they don't. And, you know, people can walk by, hey, how you doing today? Have a great run. You know, it's exactly. it, it yeah. kind of puts you back into the to the life mode because life, as they say, goes on. Uh, but to then all of a sudden come back and read his letter, it gave you the strength to do that. That That's amazing to me. Yeah. Amazing. It was a gift. I, I didn't. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was. It was just. It was just that that moment was because um, I don't think I would have been able. To, I was. I would have kept putting it off if I hadn't mm-hmm. had that space to, to to read it. So you and Daniel discussed triathlons, and you, you know I saw that, and he gave you a hard time because he knew mom <laughs> couldn't swim <laughs> or was afraid of the water. That's this is yeah. the age old story of triathletes, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm not the first, but it was a it's a big deal. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Then you did your first what seventy point three in Muskoka. Was that like yeah. 2015? Yes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, t- tell us about that experience. I'm sure you were thinking about Daniel. You know, he he probably would have loved seeing you go in for that for that swim. You know, over a mile. <laughs> but get, uh, yeah. tell us about that experience of your first triathlon there. Oh, Mike, I have goosebumps thinking about it. It was, um, I had joined a tri club, great club, a uh, local club, oh. and everybody was so supportive, you know, a lot of first timers, a lot of long timers, Kona athletes, and mm-hmm. they basically, we all were doing the same race and standing in the queue, getting ready to go into the water. I thought like, what am I like, what is, what am I signed <laughs> up for? This is like not even, and, but I could hear the voices of other people like this, you know, other th- people were voicing what I was thinking. So I thought you got to, what you got to do is you got to get in the water because it's in water start at the time and just get away from the noise. Like you just literally need to get your head in a different place because you can't absorb, you know, other people's fear, right? It all, right. Cause you have your own and uh, anyway, get in the water, um, it was actually a really calm day, which was great. But my first couple of strokes, all I thought about was Daniel. Like, I, I mean, I, I couldn't hardly get air. I was, um, you know, I was just really nervous. I was anxious. And then, you know, 500 yards, 500 meters in, I was like, all right, you know, I feel pretty good. I can see the markers, just get to the next marker. And I, there was a, a, a visceral sensation of Daniel's presence around me. And I just kept thinking about him. And then when I, got out of the water, like I'm like just beyond, um, you know, what I always think is the hardest part of the race is such a small, small part of the race. And I'm out of the water and I'm on my bike and then I'm on the run. And, you know, I don't know even the time now. It was, it was, it was a long day. But I crossed <laughs> that finish line, Mike, and to see that I, I literally got two feet off the ground and hands in the air and it was life affirming and life changing. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. I just finished up a run and Activite's the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman, keeps me going. Don't let strain and pain keep you from your training, keep you from finding your finish line. Activite's comes in three different applications, roll-on, spray, and gel. Check out all the products on amazon.com, at Walmart, and Ironman.com, and have Activites help you find your finish line. Did, you know, training for that race, Lynn, 
And, you know, obviously out on the training doing all those kilometers, you were, you know, thinking of Daniel and yeah, the things that go through your head. But going into that race, did you really think at the end of it, you were almost going to be changed? No. I don't think you can know. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's a really good question because I think you, you know, so you sign up for the race and then you get your plan mm -hmm. and then you just follow the plan. And as it comes closer, it becomes a reality. And I just, I spent a lot of time just considering where I'd been in 2009 and then mm -hmm. our life before loss and just having an appreciation for basically my whole family got me to that place because everybody, they were beyond supportive. And um, I had so much gratitude the day of the race that I was just so full. And I think, you know, irrespective of fear of water, anxiety and all that, once I got going, I was just so happy, happy to be with these other triathletes. Because I, I don't even think I thought of myself as a triathlete at that time. I still thought I was um, not an imposter, but I really didn't think I was part of the club yet. <laughs> even crossing the finish line, it was just, but in my heart, I, I had a sensation of seeing my family there at the finish and they were crying. And then I knew Daniel was across the finish line with me. Like that was the to finish that race was he was literally holding my hand right and it it was just um it was a reality that i could do big things like or i could do these hard things in spite of where i'd been and in spite of our family experience um I, you could find joy yeah and lynn you talk about <clears throat> you know i can tell the love of of your family and and that family unit uh don't you think that obviously you having the family there was support for you, but don't you think you doing that gave them uh, more of a healing process also? Yeah, I, I, I really felt that at Ironman in Placid, but yes, I, I think you're right. I think that was, that was also like, um, you know, when we, when we, when we, when we were a family of five, we did things, we went on adventures so as a family of four, mm -hmm. we found ourselves trying to create new traditions and coming to mom's races now was a new tradition. I mean, they'd always come, but Ironman and, and these endurance uh, triathlons were very different and it, it, everybody got out for it. So yes, to answer your question, I think you're right. Well, you know, and then to fast forward to one of my most favorite Ironmans in the world, Lake Placid and Adirondack Village and the the whole deal. I mean, you, you know, you were there, what, 2018, a few years after that, 70.3. And uh, uh, what made you decide, as I say, step up? Why did you want to do an Ironman? Did you think it was going to be more of a healing process? You go, you know what, now I am a triathlete. I've got to jump to this level. Uh, a good question. <laughs> you're trying to figure out why. Probably... Or, you said, or, you know, like most say, I don't know why the hell, why did I do that? Why am I doing that? Well, you, you know what it was? I think I was quite comfortable doing the, trying to get better at the 70.3 distance. But then a couple right. buddies of mine went to Placid in 2017. And they mm. came back and I was, you know, congratulating them. And they looked at me and they said, you got to do that race. <laughs> I got to do that race. And there was something about it that I thought, you know, I really respected this one particular person who, who ended up being one of my coaches. And when she said that, I thought, well, if you said that, I really respect you. 
but I'm going to check this out. And as it turned out, um, in June before Placid, there was four of us that went on a, a trip to Placid and we did the course and oh, I was good. scared to death. I thought, what have I then? It was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> I get out. I, I didn't even get out to the boathouse. You know what I mean? When we, we get in the water, they start swimming. I'm like kind of racked with some fear. And I'm thinking, I'll just stay here and swim around here. And I, my goal was to get to the boathouse. Couldn't do it. I just, I was, and then we get on the bike the next day and the hills. <laughs> and then the run, of course. And I just thought, gosh, I, I'm a month away. But it was, it was good to go because I understood what I was up for. I knew it was going to be a long day. But I also knew that I, I, I believed in who I, what my abilities were and that I was capable of finishing that day. Didn't know what, what time. Really, that didn't matter. But I, I had a sense that I could trust myself as long as things went reasonable. And um, besides of, you know, eating way too much food on the bike, <laughs> you know, the race went pretty good. <laughs> so. So why did you say that uh, Ironman Lake Placid may have been more of a healing process and all this for your family? Because it was, as you know, Ironman is um, such a, it's at such, it's such a, it's such, people hold it in such esteem. Um, People that just hear the word Ironman just have a sense of it. But people that are in the community of it, it's such a well-respected distance and we all know that to train the training alone takes such a discipline and commitment and an ability to um, say no to things and to just be so focused on the prize that there's such respect for it. And I think I look at my family watching me go through that process and I changed through that process because I, I mean, I, you literally, mm-hmm. you, you, you physiologically, you changed with the training um, your mental training changes. You 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 really kind of get to another level, another gear. I I think I felt like I did, and I think my family witnessing this, and then at the bottom of the last hill, where I probably got about maybe two mile, maybe a mile and a half, two miles to go. Um, mm-hmm. My husband and my eldest daughter were waiting there, and they were in tears. And all I looked at them, and I said, "Am I going to make it?" And they said, "You're going to make it, mom." And they hugged me. And I just blitzed up the hill and around the, you know, the lake and then back to, yeah, to, to you at the magic carpet. And I, like, I can't express, it was just how could we, how we all got there. And so that when I, when I saw that and then my other daughter and her partner at the finish shoot, just, you know, hollering my name and, and those kind of moments, um, you know, if I look back, I probably had no business doing an Ironman. If you think of it, like I have ankylosing spondylitis, I have colitis, I'm a survivor of suicide loss. Not a lot on that list sounds like things that, you know, that you can overcome. And yet people do it all the time. And I recognize that if I stuck to the training and I did the work in grief and I leaned on the support of, of my family, that I could, I could, I could get there. And then the day of was on me. Well, you got there, 1546, <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I love your comment about the, the wonderment of how'd we all get here, and and I, I've seen this over and over again, Lynn, you got there because you stuck together through the, 
the, the tough, 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 tough times. And uh, for some reason, that finish line, an Ironman finish line, is an affirmation of who you are, but you don't know that sometimes till you cross it. And, and I, I congratulate you for getting there because that had to be, you know, placid. They could have to- told you to go down to Florida and do a flat race. You know, what kind of <laughs> friends do you have? <laughs> well, they, I, you know, I guess they, they recognize it's such a, it is such a, as you know, it's such a beautiful Iconic, yeah. event. And um, the 2018 featured all weather patterns. So, you know, we had the beautiful swim and then rain and we, wind. Yeah. And then hot, very, very hot to finish it. But um I took, um, uh, well, I went down to uh, Ironman California 2019, 20, no, sorry, 2021, <laughs> and didn't get to do that race. And, you know, again, it's like you, you put the work in and you get there and you think, well, you did everything and you don't get to do it, but then you, but you've done the work. So right, it's, right. you, know, you got to be happy with, you got to, you know, you, at the end of the day, you're in California. So enjoy that. And I mean, I was bummed. I mean, it was, it, it sucked that we couldn't finish it, but it, the other option was to go out on a very bad, very scary course. Um, yeah. The there's no way, no way we were sending people out there. That was, yeah. but we got it done this year. Do you have, yeah. do you have one on the schedule for 2023? I have one on the schedule for 24. And that is like, oh, okay, Placid. good for you. I'm going back to Placid. Good for you. So I watched, uh, and I want everybody, I you know, Lynn Keen, look her up on YouTube on your TED Talk. It was very uh, powerful. And you also wrote a book, Give Sorrow Words, as I believe part of the healing process. And you wrote Daniel a letter. Uh, you're still speaking today and an advocate for it all. Are you finding it uh, easier to talk about if, if, that, if that's a question you could answer? You know, sometimes it is. I think certainly the early years, like uh, 11 and 12, 13, I, I'd usually come back and, and, and a lot of times I'd just lie down and go to sleep because I was so, yeah. you know, you put your heart out there, you are very vulnerable, and then you've got to just kind of recover a bit. Um, but I, that, that 2014 TEDx talk really was a change maker for me too because, again, I you know, I was asked to do this TEDx talk, rehearsed it, did it. Um, and then at the end, um, before it started, they, 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 they told every, these, it was all young people. So they were from 15 to 19. And they said, um, if anything that Lynn says uh, today is, you know, upsetting or triggering, um, we have staff available, um, mental health therapists available to, to talk to, after, you know, at, at any time. When the lights went up, the both rows of this uh, this area, this I guess concert venue, um, were filled with people going up to talk to the counselors, and I, really? I looked up and I went, "Wow!" Like, because you you give permission to you know you by I recognize when you speak your truths, you give permission to others to also speak their truths, and then these young people were coming up to me, just hugging me and sharing about their mom and dad, like they're, they're watching their parents with depression, their aunt, their siblings. And I mean, and that's, I, I always, um, if ever I'm speaking in any kind of venue like that, we always have a mental health counselor or at least one available. It's just for that reason. Yeah. And you know, the tough part for families, Lynn, as you know, is 
you know, we, if, if someone in our life is hurting, we want to, we just want to fix it. We want to make it better. We want to, and, but we aren't always the source to be able to do that. That's why reaching out uh, is, is so doggone important. Before I ask you <clears throat> where people can reach out, I got to tell you, I'm jealous of something. I, when you were training and doing a qualifying race for Boston Marathon in, in Toronto, and you got to meet Bono, my all <laughs> idol of all idols. Matter of fact, I've even got, I'm even reading his book, Surrender, right now. I mean, oh, I've got to get my hands on it. You got to meet Bono? Tell me about that. Oh, my, this is oh. such a great story. Um, well, it's such a uh, story that I, I, I think is great. Anyway, long story short, I get to Toronto. I'm in Toronto. I'm doing my first. No, my make first- it a long story. I'm, <laughs> I'm enamored by this. <laughs> so I'm doing my second marathon. Um, I went to Chicago, the first one in 20, 2001, 446, great, loved the whole experience. So then I became a student of running, read a book, did a plan, did Toronto, yeah. qualified. Like, <laughs> I was shocked. So um, we're checking out of our hotel, and someone yells, Sting is in that car. And I just happened to be walking towards our car. And I went, oh, Sting, that, cool, that'd be cool. I, you know, say hi. And so the car was going very slow. So I go over. And it wasn't Sting. It was Bono and the Edge. And I went, oh, my gosh. Like I said, I, I can't even tell you how I, your music is on my playlist today. And he says, what did you, what? I said, I just qualified for Boston. I just ran a marathon. And he, I mean, they knew, obviously, there was a lot of activity around the hotel. Right. He took my parking pass. He said, give me this. Took my pass, signed his name, and drew a bouquet of flowers. And the time I ran the race in. And I had oh. it to this day. yeah i haven't i haven't said it to you it it just and then fast forward two more years we're in a lobby in new york city i think we were my husband and i were sitting there and in walks bono and the edge my husband jumps up and i said don't do this don't he jumps up and goes right over and says you met my wife at the end of a race they come over they sit down for like two minutes we have a chat and then they head off into the bar and it was just like I've met now Bono twice now in my life. <laughs> now, I, I am I am beyond jealous now. You had to you had to tell me the second time, huh? I only knew about the first time. Uh, and you know yeah. Bono doing the bouquet of flowers in his book. That's what he he does a, so many drawings. That's what oh, he okay. loves to do. Oh, wow. that, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I cannot I, wait to meet the guy. Like when I meet Bono, I'm go hey. We have a mutual friend. Her name's Lynn Keane from Toronto. <laughs> I don't think he remembers, but boy, he was so generous with just the um, just, just the kindness of that. He could he could recognize the the thrill and the excitement in my voice, and just was so kind to take that extra like five minutes. And and Edge was smiling, and I just I thought I just qualified for Boston, and I met well. No, I, <laughs> So. Well, my, my closest story is my wife and I were checking into a hotel in London years ago, and Edge was standing behind us in the queue to check in. And I just didn't have the guts to turn around and even shake his hand. And my wife's on the side going, say, say hi to him. Oh, oh, my gosh, I don't want to bother him. You oh. know, and, and uh, oh. oh, wow. Anyway, oh. that's as close as I got. Well, um, hearing you call me in at Placid, was another one of those moments that I I, I will never forget. Oh, no. So I got to tell you that <laughs> that was pretty. Well, just, I, it was just a, a magic. It was a magical moment. So thank you for that. <laughs> it, it's been magic my my whole career to be able to do that. 
Lynn, <clears throat> thank you very much for talking about something that's, uh, you know, in my mind, I, wow, to talk about it helps heal, but it also brings up memories, and sometimes you may not want to bring that up. Where can people go, especially in Canada, where can they go to seek help? So the Canadian Mental Health Association, um, they can just Google that, and there's um, lots of access to support, to um, other levels of support. Crisis Canada has a a hotline, a suicide hotline, so if you just Google Crisis Canada, I don't have their number right with me, um, but Crisis Canada for um, adults, uh, I would say anybody over the age of 25, I think. Um, and then for anybody 25 and, and under, Kids Helpline is phenomenal. So Google Crisis Helpline, Canadian Mental Health Association, and the Kids Help Phone. Um, they uh, all have uh, resources uh, for people, not only in crisis, but for people that are survivors and for people that want to understand and be able to help their loved ones. Yeah, and I saw on, on your website, lynnkeen.ca, you also have a lot of suggestions of where people can go. And I looked up here in the U.S., and there are just a multitude of places, mm-hmm. especially for parents, on how to talk to their teenagers if they believe something is, is awry on, on their behavior and, and the things they're doing. Because it's very difficult for us to talk to kids anyway. <clears throat> for some reason, you know, if they shut us out, we, well, it's just a stage you're going through. But you can't look at it that way. You've got you've to attack it in a, in a loving way. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Daniel Daniel showed me how to be a parent because he was my firstborn, and um, um, in this way, he's also showing me how to um, how to show compassion to others in terms of uh, helping others. So I'll take that. But it's good to hear. That is good to hear. Lynn, one more thing on Find Your Finish Line. I have a little bit called Tri Table Racing. Tri Table Racing is what comes out of the Baja 1000, where a lot of my friends race that race. They sit around the table and reminisce about the race. We got it here, Tri Table Racing, and reminisce with us about something that happened at an event, good, bad memory, whatever it was. Uh, So let us have it. Yeah. Uh, Mike, my very first race since high school was a 5k I was 39 years old and uh jacked up to do this 5k my friends were doing the 15k anyway about 3k in I get lost um luckily I found another person who was also lost and we ended up running 7k so that was the longest run I had ever done in my life to that point and we come running in and the spectators that were lining the finish line were clapping and I looked over, I said, I think they think we are the w- women, the elite women coming in on the 15K. So we crossed the tape, took it down, and uh, people were clapping. And we found the race director and said, look, like, we got lost. Uh, sorry. You know, he said, no problem. He gave us entries into the following year's race. So, yeah, that was I mean, my... Yeah, they actually, Lynn, they actually had the tape up? Yeah. Like you oh, were yeah. breaking the tape at the finish? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like 2000, what was it? Two, no, no, it was 1990, 1998 yeah. at the Bread and Honey Races oh, in, uh, in Mississauga. And, but the race director was such a sweetheart and he, he could see that we were clearly you know, upset. He said, look, for everything, all your trouble, um, come on back and do this next year. And I did. And I actually ended up placing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that so, is a great table topic. Yeah. Well, I guess the moral of the story is if you get lost, Just make sure going. you go in first so you can break a tape. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. That was a good oh, Lynn, thanks for sharing that. That was that was good. Yeah, no problem. Well, I, I, I said I listened to them, and they're great. They're great little stories at the end. So, well, Lynn, it's okay that you didn't get a workout in today. I'm not going <laughs> to tell anybody. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and it is the holiday season. And yes, I can't wait to see what's on the. Oh, thank you. And I can't wait to see what's on the slate for you for 2024. Where are you going to go? Uh, I wish I could be there with you, but it's just, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. You're, you're done so your thank time. Thank you for myself. your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for your time and, and uh, uh, give hugs to your family for me. Absolutely. And will. Uh, keep doing what you're doing because spreading that word is, is doing a lot of good. All right. And thank you for everything. You're welcome. You're welcome. Lynn Keen out of Toronto, Canada. Thank you again for listening in to another edition of Find Your Finish Line presented by Activice, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. I'm just getting through this with the voice, so I apologize for that. So pick us up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, everywhere you can find us and give us a review if you would. We'd certainly appreciate, appreciate that. So as I say, find your finish line every day. You've got to work you got to work hard. you got to jump those hurdles. But when you get to that finish line, you know you're a better person than when you started. Take care, everybody. And as always, my warmest aloha.